Um, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 14 here this evening, Luke chapter 14. I do want to um, echo what Pastor said about uh, Easter services and whatnot and all those that participated. What a blessing that was. Uh, appreciate especially Lamar out here putting lights up and setting up pallet walls and putting chairs out and all those that cooked. and I mean, there's so many things uh, that uh, took place, and I just appreciate that. I know Pastor said that I'm being redundant, but uh, I think it's worthy to be said twice. Luke chapter 14, if you would, we'll start reading uh, verse 25. He said, And there went great multitudes with him, And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace." So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful to be in your house this evening, Lord, and I'm thankful to be able to gather around your word and with your people, to be able to spend some time this evening in prayer and to meet with you. And God, I just think especially tonight as so many... uh, have been doing so many different things today and been at work and maybe many struggled to even uh, just make it here tonight. God, I just know so many different thoughts and uh, different things on our minds and in our lives that are uh, consuming us. God, I just ask that uh, even though we may not have prepared necessarily deeply to meet with you, might you meet with us this evening? Might you speak to us? Uh, God, we need influence from the creator of heaven and earth this evening. Uh, we don't need man's words or uh, to just meet vain in vain here tonight. We need to hear from you, and God, we do ask for that. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity and thankful for a place to worship and, and, and hear from your word. And we ask your hand in all that's done. We love you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, of course, um, if you've been with us, as you know, we've uh, 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 well into the series titled Forget You, and so I just like that, and so we're excited about that. And last week we talked about what everybody's excited about, about dying to self. And so just a really encouraging and exciting, I mean, this we're just all uplifted by that. I mean, how we have to put to death our flesh and its selfishness and be alive unto God. I talked about putting on a new shirt and let the old one get thrown out, or an old shirt tonight. I just, we're in that way, aren't we? And so, 
Uh, that's where we're at. And this concept, and as you know, as we, as we come to the passage we just read, um, we see that, and it's continued there in this, uh, in this particular passage. And this concept uh, is something that's contrary to our own nature. This idea of dying to self, this idea of, as we're going to look at a little bit tonight, of taking up our cross. Uh, we want to be satisfied. We want to be provided for. We want to be fulfilled. Uh, if you think about our society, uh, especially where we live in our day and age, we live in a market-driven society. Everybody is trying to sell you something better. You can't even look at it. I mean, you get, you get on Facebook and you have ads to your ads. You've seen that? There's an ad of a, a video. You start watching the video. but The video will pause for another ad. What? I'm watching an ad. That's just the way that it is in our society because everybody wants to give you something better. Uh, of course, here during the office, uh, several times a week, somebody's got a better deal on printers, on paper, on window panes, on carpets. You know, people come in, what's your insurance like? What's your shoelace policy? I mean, everything. There's got, somebody's got something new and better for us. And that's, that's our society. That's how people make a living. That's how it runs. Everything is a competition for your attention, for your resources, but also for your heart. And therefore, it's really not surprising that Christianity has often succumbed to that mindset, to the mentality to sell Christianity in the marketplace of competing ideas and ways of life. That's, that's sometimes and far too often become what Christianity is. Is it something to sell? It's a new thing that's going to be better for your life. And we've got all the reasons why, man, if you're not a Christian, you're missing out on all the greatness and all the amazing things. You could get a new car or you could be a Christian. Come on. We've got, I mean, it's so often uh, we, we are shaped by the marketplace society. And yet when a, the Christian mission is shaped with the sell mentality, it often becomes a low-cost, low-risk Christianity. You with me? We, if you're selling something, you want something that's the best product for the lowest price. You with me? And so often, this is often becomes how Christianity is phrased in our modern culture. It often becomes the way that we want to present Christianity or how so many churches desire to do it. I mean, how else are we going to persuade others to receive the faith when everybody's looking for the next best thing, if not coming up with a good offer? You with me here tonight? Okay, nobody is. That's okay. I'm with me. It's whatever. We're good. <laughs> so all throughout our nation, Christians are selling Christianity with claims of a better life, Christianity is going to fix your family. It's going to heal your diseases. Uh, we sell church as a place of fun and friendship and help. Uh, churches are trying to entertain with great music and fun kids programs and charismatic and practical preaching. And the whole time, like good salesmen, we downplay the cost. There's no cost. Just come in. It's all awesome. You with me here tonight? Hey, just come to church. It's all good. Everything's good. Nobody's going to ask for your money. We've got candy for you. You with me? I mean, that's, 
It's all good. We want to sell it. There's no cost. The cost is the last thing Christians want to talk about when we try to convert people. In fact, it seems pretty counterintuitive to talk to somebody who's on the fence about Christianity, maybe somebody that's newly accepted Christ or is just getting their feet wet in church, and to lead with, okay, so you're just learning about Jesus, maybe you just accepted him. What Jesus wants now, next, the next step is, could you just go ahead and put you to death? It's not really a great opening line, you with me? You're selling something. There's not many costs greater than death. That's, that's, a, that's a super steep price. Now, we've all had the sticker price shock, but I don't think they get worse than that, right? Maybe you've had the Kirby salesman in your house, right? And he's cleaning up. Who's had Kirby salesman? You guys seen those? We had a Kirby growing up. They work awesome. I'm not selling them here tonight, but <laughs> if I were, you know. They come in, and they're pouring stuff in your carpet, and they're cleaning it, and they're going to sell you. This is the greatest thing. And then four hours into the conversation while you're trying to get them out of the house, and you'll buy one just to get rid of them. Then they go, well, you see, the cost is, yeah. listen, you got to think about it this way. If you just make 4,000 payments of nine cents, it's really, it's very affordable. Because it's a huge cost. It's a $1,000 vacuum or something ridiculous. I don't know what they cost. But it's something so high that you don't want to lead with that. And so often that becomes what Christianity is. We're in somebody's house for four hours or we've got them in church and we're throwing candy at them and we're showing them all the amazing things and they're going, what's the catch? Oh, there's no, it's all good. We'll talk about that later. You with me? And yet Jesus he would gather these great crowds, and then he would quickly scare them off. If you read throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus was never guilty of being a Kirby salesman. You with me? He's never lingering around and beating around the bush and going, well, let me tell you all the great things about following me is going to be like. And people are going, well, is there a catch? No, there's no It's all good. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Don't Never. That's not what you read about with Jesus. Jesus was never a salesman. You with me? Now we get real salesman -y. Jesus was never a salesman. Jesus has these great uh, uh, multitudes following him. And here it was the same way. He had preached and done some miracles. And he's got this great multitude following him. Uh, claiming to desire the Messiah. They want to hear more from the Messiah. And he turns to them, and instead of trying to seal the deal, instead of trying to sell them on Christianity, he immediately turns around and gives them the cost. And he don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> he leads, I mean, can you just imagine this? This multitude is following him uh, for the miracles, for all the amazing things, what they have heard, what they want to see the Messiah do. And he turns around to these multitudes and he goes, if you don't hate your family, you're not my disciple. Whoa. That's coming on strong. You with me? That, I mean, there's no ramp up there. I mean, he doesn't even lead with, now this is going to be extreme. I mean, you think at least that. You with me? No preparation. I mean, he just, the Bible says he turns around and goes, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brethren, your sisters. You know what? Your own life. 
you can't be my disciple. I mean, he's coming on strong. And before I get too far into this, I want you to understand the colloquialism that's at work here. Uh, he's not insinuating, hate your children. You with me? If you're confused about that, we can go more into that. I'm just going to mention that in, in here. I mean, in a, in a parallel passage, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 10 says, if you love them more than me, he says, you can't be my disciple. Uh, if you want to see more about that, that use of that phrase throughout uh, 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 the Jewish people, you can look at Genesis 29, uh, where it says, uh, 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 Jacob lo- hated Leah. And the verse before it says, he loved Rachel more than Leah. It's the way the phrase is used here. You with me? And so he's not saying really hate them. But what he's saying is that, that, that this feeling towards them, this this. Uh, 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 hate towards them would actually be worthlessness in comparison to the love that they would have for him. And Jesus turns and he says something so jarring and so strange that everyone must have been listening very closely by the time the sentence had ended. I mean, Jesus chooses the strongest possible phrase he could have said to the Israelite. Hate your family. I mean, to the Israelite, family was everything. Family was life. It was their future. It was their lineage. It was where they drew their identity from. Uh, if you would have even spoken to the Jew in that day, it would have been a very, very big deal what their family line was, what tribe they were from, what their property was. All of that tied into who they were uh, married to, who their children were, who their, who their parents were. All of that was very, very important. And Jesus instantly, he leads with, Consider all of that worthless in comparison to your devotion and your love to me. He comes out swinging, in other words. And this is something that, if you're listening, this is one of those things that sounds questionable right off the bat. If you're here and you're not familiar with Christianity, you're probably going, whoa, what is happening? (laughs) If you walk, in other words, if you walk into the average organization or or you meet the average person and they lead with your loyalty to me and your devotion to me or our organization ought to be greater than how much devotion and loyalty and love you have for your family, that's usually a weird deal. You with me? In other words, if you went to work and they said, hey, I just want to tell you, we expect you to be more loyal to us than to your wife. You'd go, I think I need a new job. You with me? And this is yet this is how Jesus leads. Usually this phrase means something's very off. In other words, Jesus is leading with a phrase that forces the hearer to choose that this is either the God that is worthy of that kind of devotion higher than my family or this is a cult. I mean, that's all you got there, right? Meaning if these people are following him going this, sound, this guy sounds good. He's doing miracles. Let's find out what this is about. I'm on the fence here. If you're on the fence on that phrase, you got a decision to make. He's not selling anybody. He's not beating around the bush. As soon as the multitude's following me, he turns around and says, which is it? Am I God or not? Either I am and I deserve your absolute, complete loyalty and passion and love, or... You better go. 
You with me? That's how he leads. By demanding so much devotion, it is quickly discovered who there really believes. In a, in a different passage, he does a similar thing, and it turns out only his 12 disciples were there. And he turns and goes, are you guys going to go too? I mean, he dispersed multitudes the same way. It's like walking into an Aston Martin dealership. The salesman's probably going to come over and open with something like, now you understand these are $200,000 vehicles, right? Because if you don't know that, this is a waste of everybody's time. You're not, getting, you're not walking in thinking, I might spend 30 grand on a new car and get talked up to 1.3 million. I wasn't looking to splurge, but you with me? From the salesman perspective, it's if, if you don't know what the situation is here, you don't need to be in this building. Either you understand the value of this vehicle, and that's something you want to spend your money on, or we're not, we have no business dealings. Because that's the price of that kind of a vehicle. Jesus is coming in, and he's not, he's not got Walmart goods. I mean, he's not at the flea market where, well, well you know, hey, We'll pinch a few pennies here and there. We'll make up the cost there. Uh, it ain't that way. He says the cost is so high that if you don't know the cost from the get-go, we have no need to go further. Because if you don't understand what the cost is, you're not going to get talked into it accidentally. So he leads with that. He says if you don't hate your family, in other words, consider them worthless in comparison to your devotion to me. He says, if you don't hate your own life also. He says, listen, if you're not going to be willing to bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. I mean, we use this as a phrase today, the idea of bearing your cross for any hardship we have to go through. I mean, so often we say, you got a hangnail. We go, that's my cross to bear. i got to deal with that. Listen, that's not what Jesus is referring to here. Your cross to bear is not your health problems. It's not your disobedient children. It's not your relationship issue. It's not your bad job. That's not your cross to bear, your inconveniences. When Jesus was carrying his cross up to Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking there the cross is a symbol for an inconvenience in life. To a person in the first century, the cross was something that meant death by the most painful and humiliating means possible. Bearing a cross meant carrying your own execution device while facing ridicule and humiliation. That's what bearing your cross meant. To him, he's not talking about inconveniences. When he says, pick up your cross, that phrase in that time, they understood to mean Physically carry your crucifixion to your death. That's what was understood by the phrase. That's how he drove crowds away. <laughs> to take up your cross is not about bearing life's inherent troubles. Listen, you got to bear those whether you're a believer or not. What he's talking about is your death to self. Not in a metaphorical, hypothetical sense. 
He's talking about being so literally devoted to the Savior that you're ready to die a gruesome and humiliating death. Anybody encouraged tonight? Amen. This is good. <laughs> if you're new here, trust it's going somewhere. Death is the largest price we can pay. <laughs> it's the culmination of everything you have to offer. When Jesus says, hey, be willing to bear your cross and come after me. Pick up your cross and follow me. He's not just saying, hey, be willing to die. If you're willing to die, you're willing to give anything. The, the claim is everything, in other words. Devote everything. We can't say we're willing to give our lives and yet hold anything back. If you give your life, you give everything, is what he says. And he says, uh, let's open up this way. You ought to be willing and, and ready to have be so devoted and, and so, so in love with me that your love for your family looks like hate. He says, you ought to be willing to pick up your own device of execution and carry it to your own death. And he says, listen, here's the point. You need to count that cost before you're here. He's turning to those that have followed him because of miracles, because of his words, because of his uh, reputation of what he's done. And he turns around and he says, listen, before you start following me, you got to know what this is going to cost you. That's what he turns around and says. He says, you better be ready for this. He says, this is no small endeavor. This is no lighthearted decision. To follow Christ, in other words, as Jesus is telling them, is not something you just maybe do on occasion. That you just think, maybe this will be a good idea today, and we'll see how this goes. He says, no, no, no. He says, it's as if somebody's going to build a tower. He says, it's as if somebody's going to go to war. It's not a casual decision. He says, if you're building some a building project that's going to take a multitude of resources and, and time, uh, you like figure out what that's going to cost you first. Nobody runs down to Home Depot and buys out their lumber and rents a cement truck and goes, we'll just see what happens, I don't know. Maybe we'll get a building. I don't know, I might give up halfway. Who's, well, it don't matter. No, it's ridiculous. Jesus is presenting a ridiculous scenario in which somebody would just go out haphazardly to build a tower without any clue what it might cost them. And halfway through, get done. You'd, go, that, you'd, you'd be embarrassed. You'd be made fun of, is what he says. That'd be ridiculous. He says, it, how ridiculous of a thought it would be for somebody to go to war and not even ask hey, how many people they got. <laughs> That's what he says. Who's going to be so riled up in the moment? Who's going to be talked or sold into a warfare and be so riled up that they go, it don't even matter. I'm not, I don't even care how many people are over there. No, that's the number one question. If you're going to hand-to-hand -hand combat in a war where somebody is going to die, your first question there is, okay, we got 10,000, how many they got? Because if it's 100,000, no. Jesus is saying, you, you count the cost. Before you're going to commit to being my disciple, before you're going to commit to following me, before you're going to align yourself with my purpose and my mission and who I am, you better figure out whether or not that's a cost you're willing to pay. He leads with this. And he says this, 
And he says this phrase three times. If you're not willing to do that, you cannot be my disciple. I don't think we think about that kind of a phrase as often or with the weight that Jesus intended it to be understood. He doesn't say when he says, take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, man, it'd be nice if one day as a disciple, you grew to the place that you took up your cross and followed me. He doesn't say, man, it would be wonderful if one day after years and years of service that you got to the place that you loved me so much that you were willing to give up your family or your own life for my sake. No. He says, the cost, the base level, in order to be my disciple, the cost is you pick up your cross and you follow me. That's the base level. There's no, there's no other option. You with me? If you're buying something and they give out the sticker price, a lot of times you go, okay, yeah, but um, there's like rebates and deals and come on. I'm not paying Blue Book. Let's get real, okay? We start talking about, th that's not where Jesus is at. You with me? He says, listen, let's start it off right. We're not, I'm not going to talk you into it. We're not trying to sell you on Christianity. I'm the Messiah. I will die for your sins so that you can have a home in heaven for eternity. But if you want to be my disciple, the cost is your life or you're not one. You can see why not a super popular message. You can see why most of the those who followed him, those that were the multitudes that followed him, those with the palms, those that praised him, those that thronged him and thanked him for healing, were the same people that later would cry out, crucify him. Because he gave them the cost. Now listen, if Jesus acted like a lot of us do in church today, man, he probably would have never went to the cross. He would have never said anything contradictory. It would have been 20 years before he ever got to such a concept. He would have eased him way into it. Not how Jesus spoke. Not how he taught. He says, the requirement for disciples is that you'd be willing to pick up your cross. He says, not willing to walk away from everything you have. Not willing to give up your dreams, your hopes, your very family. You can't be my disciple. Now I want to clarify this here. You can be saved if you believe that he is the Savior and you call out to him to save your soul. That's the requirement for salvation. You with me? If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus that you'll believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, he says. But he says if you want to be my disciple, it takes your life. Yeah, you can be one that just accepted. And no doubt, as we look throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see so many that he came and he healed and he said, your sins are forgiven. And you don't hear anything from them ever again. And a lot of people go and they get into this lordship salvation stuff and they start talking about how they were never really saved. No, no. God says, if you call out to the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And you can do that here tonight. You with me? You can call on the name of the Lord and you can walk out those doors and want nothing else to do with God. And he is faithful. He's true to his word. But if you're here tonight and you want to be his disciple, he says, here's the cost. 
He, gives no, he has no reason to sugarcoat it. He didn't feel it was necessary to do that. If you're not prepared to sacrifice everything in your life, you're not prepared to be his disciple. Jesus wants us to surrender our idea of what life should be like. We have dreams, we have desires, we have expectations. We have a concept of we want to get to a certain place in our career, live a certain lifestyle. We want the white picket fence. We want the friends and the fun and to travel the world. And we talk about, I want X number of children and I want them to be this, this, and this in life. And Jesus doesn't, listen, say he's going to take all those things from you. But he says the cost of discipleship is being willing to give them all up. That's what he says. He doesn't say, it's not a, it would be nice if you were that devoted. But that's the base price. Wherever he went, he drew crowds. But their view of who the Messiah was was distorted. Discipleship demands sacrifice. And Jesus never hid that cost. And he uses this phrase multiple times throughout his ministry, this idea of taking up his cross. In Mark chapter 8, uh, it says, for whose, uh, it says, uh, and when they had called the disciple, uh, people unto him and his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then he says this, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall find it. For what shall a profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He not only says, listen, the cost of discipleship, the cost of aligning yourself with me, the cost of following me and being named as, as one of my disciples, he says, that's your whole life. And he says, not only that, you ought not be ashamed of those words. He says, uh, we ought not be ashamed of being called by his name, of being the very church of Christ. And that, that the cost of that is our lives. There was, if you go and you read about some of the, those that did um, amazing uh, works for the Lord, that gave their lives, the, the stories are are numerous throughout times past in the 1600s, 1700s, throughout the revivals. I just picked a few here tonight. I don't know if you're familiar with Adoniram Judson, but he was a missionary that was compelled to bring the gospel to Burma. And he set sail early on in his life with his new wife. It was about six months after they were married. And before arriving to Burma, his first child was a stillbirth. His second child in Burma died at 17 months old. Adoniram Judson would then be imprisoned for 19 months. Shortly after his release, his third child would die at two years old, six months after his wife died. That's his introduction to Burma. Judson would remarry twice, but he ended up burying all three wives and seven of his 13 children. 
almost all of whom directly related to being in Burma, with the weather and the diseases and all that goes into that. Did he leave? No. One of his quotes that I enjoy is he said this, and you, can, and you get the pain and the devotion in what his words are. He says, let us die as soon as possible. And by whatever process God shall appoint. But look at what he says. He says, and when we are dead to the world and nature and self, we shall begin to live to God. I don't know about you, but when I think of, of such a devotion... I, I don't, those words mean so much more than what I can even conceive. David Brainerd, if you're familiar with him, he was, when Yale was still a Christian institution, he was expelled for being too zealous for the gospel. And his, he had this passion to bring the gospel to the lost, and so he sought to be a missionary to the Native Americans. He got three years of doing so. And they were characterized by hunger, illness, and depression. You can go read his journals. And some people go, a Christian should never be depressed. Uh, let's look at David Brainerd. After three years of ministering to the Native Americans, he died of tuberculosis. And he said, it's his quote and his desire and what it said of him is he said this. He said his desire was to burn out in one continual flame for God. He got three years and he gave it all. William Carey felt a burden to share the gospel with the lost and began to preach it when he was a young man. One of the first times he preached with the fervor of getting the gospel out to the lost he was told to sit down, young man. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. Not long after that, he left to reach the people of India. Jim Elliot felt called to bring the gospel to a dangerous, unreached tribe of Ecuador. After dropping gifts to them for some time, he was murdered the first time he approached them. He is best known for saying he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, which he cannot lose. But that, let me tell you what, that's not the most amazing part of that story. Shortly after that, Jim Elliott's wife returned to the tribe that murdered her husband with her three-year-old daughter to give him the gospel. And we go... I wonder what devotion looks like. There's plenty of examples if you want to see it. We could go all night and talk about those that gave their very lives and the multitudes of martyrs and go in to look at the uh, 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 12 disciples and how each of them died and paid for it, uh, uh, what, what they would be as disciples. And I ask this question. We lead with this cost, but I think... If you don't know Jesus, the question would be, why? Why would anybody do that? What in the world? Why would people do that? 
We could talk about missionary after missionary and, and servant of God after servant of God that would leave everything, that would give their very life, that would... And listen, not even that they would enjoy it entirely. If you go and read these missionary stories, man, some of them quoted, uh, it's worth it for God, but man, this is bad. Why would you do that? Why, what would be the point of that? And we don't have time to expound on all of this. But he says this. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. The, the truth of what God is showing here is in this phenomenon in that our life is found, our joy, our peace, our abundance is found when we finally let go and let Christ have it. Jesus, the one who died for our sins, the one that would go to the cross for you and I. And we spoke about this already, and, and, but we could never talk about it too much. That it says, while we were yet sinners, while we didn't know him, while we had no good thought towards him, while we couldn't have cared less about who God is or how we've offended him, he went to a cross and was tortured for us, not deserving a second of it. And he says, and I will prepare for you a home in heaven of mansions and streets of gold and, and things that our minds can't even conceive of. And then he says, listen, if you'll serve me, if you'll give your life, the reward you can't even imagine what I have for you. But he says, listen, the cost is everything. Will he take everything? Not necessarily. But he says, you better be willing to give it all. And it's not just a hypothetical. Some really would give it all. John 12, 24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And he spoke not only of his own death, but of our willingness to die to self. We talk about this in Christianity. We know these things are in the Word of God. And we talk about this phrase of, uh, uh, of picking up your cross daily and following Him, of having to bear your cross, of having to be dead to self. But I think the reality is, and I'm just speaking for me here tonight, I think the reality is when I look of those that had to give it all, I don't even understand what that means yet. I'm not even there. When I, when I often... When I often think things like tithing and showing up to church on a Wednesday night and not getting thank you is my cross to bear, can I tell you I'm not even on the same plane here with what Jesus so often has asked his disciples to do. How can we say we're willing to die if we're not willing to give up the little things even in Christianity? Jesus says, to be my disciple, you have to be willing to pick up your cross, the a mode and object of your crucifixion. And we say we're willing to die for him, and yet we say we're unwilling to spread the gospel for a few hours. Can I tell you something's wrong? If that's our mindset. How can we say the object of our death is on our back when we're crying about being treated unfairly? 
or that our sacrifices aren't properly recognized. It's, something's weird. Can I tell you what? Now, I hope you understand my heart when I say this. And I'm so thankful that everybody's here on a Wednesday night. And we've given of our time in the week, and I understand that that takes effort and it's hard. But so often, and I've heard it so many times, that we say, man, the, the faithful ones, the sold out ones are here on Wednesday night. Is that the baseline for our devotion to Christ? And I don't want to disparage anybody who took the time. I understand that that's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for me many times, and I appreciate that. And the Lord's blessed by it, and, and He'll honor that in your life. But listen, is that the baseline of sacrifice? You know, we make it so often that Christianity, man, if you make it out on Wednesday night, sold out. Jesus says sold out is when you give your life. If you're questioning whether or not Wednesdays are too much for you, that's not sold out. And I hope you know the heart that I say that from. Listen, there's nine million or so, it's hard to get statistics on these types of things, independent Baptists, if we just were to take that demographic in the United States, and there's about 5,000 independent Baptist missionaries. I don't know if you can do that math real quick, but that's like a half of a tenth of a percent. If you go throughout our country, churches are closing. Statistically, 65 to 80 percent of churches are declining or are stagnant. Every year there's less missionaries, less pastors than there were the year before. A missionary going to the field takes two to three years to raise support. And if you talk to any missionary, 85% of churches they call are not taking new missionaries. That's the reality of Christianity in our nation. And it's sobering by the very thought that if 5% of believers would win anyone to the Lord in their lifetime, in 25 years, Christianity would quadruple. Can I tell you this? And I'm with you in this. The problem is not that God doesn't want more people in the field. The problem isn't people are unqualified or that we don't have the time. The reason why missionaries aren't being able to get to the field is not because we've run out of money. It's not because we've lost the ability. It's not because circumstances have changed or the devil has defeated us. That's not the case. The reason for this and the entire problem is that we've yet to understand the cost. Jesus is beckoning us in this passage to count the cost and choose our allegiance. To align yourself with Christ is to align yourself with the object of your suffering. It means you no longer get to say, I'm offended and, and leave. It means you no longer get to tell Christ you're too busy for his mission. It means you don't get to just spurn and, and dismiss the cause of Christ and His mission for your life to follow your dreams and your desires and just fit church in somewhere. Now listen, we're always going to struggle to actually do this. Our flesh is always going to fight back. But Jesus says the cost is to make the decision to pick the cross back up and follow Him daily. 
Now, we can choose to pretend that the sacrifice of those that we just read about and so many others is some anomaly in Christianity. We can choose to accept this, what so many in this country are selling as Christianity, that it's some casual churchy club for friendship music and a nice message on, on how to get more money. But can I tell you what? That's not what Jesus said. He said, you want to be my disciple? Pick up the cross and follow me. You're not making the decision anymore whether or not it's too hard, whether or not you feel like serving me, whether or not sharing the gospel makes you embarrassed. He says, those are not conversations a disciple has. He says, I ask your whole life. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't say, you have to do that to be saved. He says, you have to do that to be my disciple. And then he says this. We don't have time to go much farther, but he says there's nobody that will ever sacrifice for me that will not receive so much more. He says there's nobody that has ever lost their life for me, whether their life in their dreams and their hopes in this life or their actual physical death that doesn't find life. Can I tell you what? And the reality is, is we've sold in our country Christianity to be something so good for your life that, man, it's just going to make all your dreams come true and you're going to get physically healed and your bank account's going to grow and your kids are going to be in line and, man, it's just going to be wonder and all you got to do is come to church occasionally and everything's going to be good. You know what the result is? If you go into churches, half the Christians are miserable. They're miserable living that way. They're upset at the preacher, they hate the church, they hate each other, there's church splits and people are bitter, they can't find the time to get in their Bible. Can I tell you the reality? Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That's, that's Christianity, that's being his disciple. I gotta quit, but we've titled the series, Forget You. And that's, that's not the goal. That's the starting point. Man, I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that as I read about these that gave all, that watched children die on the field, that gave their lives, that forsook everything to follow him. I need to remember, that's the cost. That's not extreme. What's extreme is that a God would die for me. The baseline is that we would give our lives for him. He says this, if you're not willing to give your life, if you're not willing to take up your cross every day, if you're not willing to make the decision to say, you have my whole life, whatever it might be, he says this, you can't be my disciple. So in other words, forget you. It gets less funny, I think, the more I say it. Jesus wants all of us. And I think if you get to know him and you understand and you contemplate the cost of what he has paid for you, and you start to read about all of what he has for you, and you start to actually do it, you'll realize, can I tell you what? There's no better thing I could ever do than give my life for him. Might we not be those that try to sell Christianity or have bought a salesman Christianity? Might we be those that are his disciples?
stand to our feet this evening.